welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. And I gotta say, happy birthday to Nitin, who turned 32 yesterday. It's a, it's a big milestone. I actually did my research before this pod. I looked up what other NBA player was born on Jan 12th, 1989. The closest I got was Michael Beasley. Um, I'm, a big, I'm a big Michael Beasley fan. It makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. So uh, that's, you know, think of yourself as Michael Beasley. Um, that's uh, the age you're sitting at right now. Thank you, man. I was drinking for the fountain of youth for the two weeks uh, when you were 32 and I was 31, but uh, <laughs> I've caught up to you now. Um, the present uh, for my birthday was uh, the shoe finally dropping in the James Harden saga. Now, we had a whole rundown planned. You know, I think you were going to give me some shit about Tom Brady and, you know, Bucks beating the Washington football team. We will save that. We'll get to that. I'll give you your shine. But we have to start with uh, the massive news uh, from the NBA today. James Harden is on the move. This was pretty much a lock after last night and everything that happened post uh, getting beat down by the Lakers for a second straight game. The press conference from both Harden as well as Wall and even Cousins. So here's what we got. Okay, try to stay with me. It's a four team deal. Um, the Nets received James Harden and a 2024 second rounder from Cleveland. The Rockets receive Victor Oladipo, um, Dante Exum, and Kuruks from the uh, you know Pacers, Cavs, and Nets, respectively. Three unprotected picks from Brooklyn in 2022, 24, and 26, as well as Milwaukee's unprotected pick in 2022 via Cleveland. And four pick swaps, uh, 21, 23, 25, and 27. The Pacers get Karis LeVert, as well as a second-round pick from the Rockets in 23. And the Cavs get Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince. Uh, did you get all that? I think I did. I think I did. All right. So, massive deal. Uh, I think the most number of picks plus pick swaps that we've ever seen go out in a trade. Um for reference, Drew Holiday was three plus two this past summer. So let's start here. I think there's a lot to unpack with this trade, of course, but I wanted to get your thoughts on um, did Houston get enough back for a generational superstar, a top five player in the league, and someone who's in the MVP conversation, in the scoring title conversation year after year after year? They did not get enough, but I don't think you'll ever get enough, right? I think that's one thing we learned uh, with these superstar trades is it never really is enough. Now the, the piece that I think they really missed out on and that they wanted, they've been asking for in a trade package was a young franchise cornerstone. Now it's easier said than done asking for that and actually getting it. But you look at the Anthony Davis trade, the Pelicans came out with, um, with a couple of those young guys who, you know, whether you think they're franchise cornerstones or not, Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo ball, a lot of talent there. Uh, the Rockets end up with Karis LeVert, who, you know, promising talent, but they end up flipping him for an expiring contract in Depot. So so really the story of the trade is in those four picks uh, and four pick swaps, which is, you know, on the one side, those are going to be late round picks for the Nets, given that the Nets are going to be good for at least the short term future. But on the flip side of that, are they going to be that good for that long? We've seen how combustible these types of situations are especially when you have three personalities with Kyrie, Katie, and Harden. I don't think anyone would be surprised if in three years, four years, um, they blow it up. 
And if you're looking at that, given the way the, the picks are kind of um, spaced out, uh, you know, I know they get the swaps, but even the, the picks they own outright, you may only have one or two of those that are in the late first round. So that's kind of the optimistic point of view on this trade. But the reason I don't, I still don't like it for Houston is I don't know how serious Philly was, how serious that trade package was, but I would have much rather have gotten Simmons and maybe a couple of first round picks as opposed to, uh, you know, a larger kind of set of picks with Karis LeVert coming back who didn't, didn't end up keeping anyway. So I don't think they got it enough, bottom line. Uh, well, so I guess my, you know, I should have even prefaced it. Do they get enough in re- in regards to what superstars normally go for? So if you think about the biggest haul ever was probably either Anthony Davis last summer or Carmelo Anthony when he went from the Nuggets to the Knicks, right? And I'd actually say that Anthony Davis was better because Brandon Ingram was the best player that's been traded in one of those types of star deals, right? He is a yep. superstar in his own right. He's 23 as well as, you know, a boatload of picks. I think they got three or four picks plus a couple pick swaps. So I don't think they got there, but that's also not as bad as some of the returns for the Kyrie for, um, you know, for Jimmy Butler. But you think they didn't even get as good as what Paul George received, you know, what the Clippers, or sorry, the Thunder got for Paul George, where they got a bunch of picks and they also got that franchise cornerstone in SGA. So. No. It was a hard trade to make, though, for a couple of reasons. One, it's not a similar situation in that the team that is trading out the star is not going into a rebuild with a bunch of young talent. Like, you know, the, the Pelicans got to build around Zion and the Clippers, sorry, the Thunder got to build around SGA. They got to build around Dort, a couple other guys that are now, you know, that new that new crop. With the Rockets, because they were so good last year, they're kind of caught in this limbo where they have these veterans, right? The Tucker, Wall, Gordon, cousins of the group, and they don't really have any young studs because they've been mortgaging their future thanks to, oh, wait, James Harden. And so yep. the whole the whole, the whole thing is a paradox because it's like, okay, you want us to rebuild, but because of the guy who now wants out, we couldn't have already set ourselves up for any type of rebuild. We're yeah. caught in total no man's land, not even by a fault of their own, by fault of the superstar who essentially demanded all this. And then the second it, just, it started declining, you know, wanted out. But all that being said, I think it's funny, even when I look back on my own comments of when this when this news first broke about a month or two ago, when I was shitting on this Brooklyn package, I was like, yeah. Dinwiddie, Lovert, Allen, those guys <laughs> suck. Like, how I don't care how many picks you throw in. None of those guys are going to be ever be an all-star. And the funny thing is, I kind of like the trade they did, and they didn't get any of those three. Um, not only that, they didn't even get those players. And so um, I think the picks are actually going to convert in a more meaningful way than maybe other teams around the league who have those future picks out to teams, right? So you think about Milwaukee's got all their picks up to New Orleans in the, in the Drew Holiday trade. But Giannis just signed the Supermax, he's 26. Uh, the Clippers, they just gave up all their picks to the Thunder. But PG is now under contract. Kawhi is likely to resign. And they're still a little younger than the Durant-Harden crew, which is now 31-32, right? And then you have um, even Houston's picks that are out to OKC might end up becoming better because they're always staying competitive. And now they're trying to reload on the fly. So I think the picks are actually going to be some of the best uh, of any of these future picks that are out. And I think Oladipo is a really interesting player who's starting to look like his old self. Yep. And 
I like the trade for Indiana because he wasn't the lead guy anymore, but he still thought he was. And Lavert is a much better player to play off Brogdon and Sabonis. At the same time, I like the trade to bring in Oladipo from for Houston because there's another young guy, and he's not super young, but there's another dude with top end All Star level talent that they can try to salvage. Um, the situation was untenable. That much is clear. Now, you brought up, should they have just done it for Ben Simmons and whatever picks they were offering? It looked like Tyrese Maxey ended up being the breaking point. I suppose, yes, uh, when compared to the Brooklyn offer, because it's at least a known commodity. He's all NBA. He's under contract for five years. I'm not a Ben Simmons fan. Um, I was a huge Ben Simmons fan coming out of college and all the skill set he displayed at LSU. I'm so disappointed in, in the way he's progressed and the laurels that he rests on when he hasn't done anything in this league. Um, He's talked up by media because, I don't know, he's a pretty face and he was a number one pick and he's clutch sports and he's LeBron's boy and all this stuff. And he looks like LeBron kind of in terms of just physical stature. This is the same guy that two years ago scored one point in a playoff game. Can Can you name a single player that you would think is worth a shit that could score one point in a playoff game and get off scot free? Maybe Draymond. Maybe Draymond. And Draymond is not all NBA caliber. He's all-star caliber by virtue of his circumstance. Draymond would never have headlined a deal like this for James Harden. Yep. Even in his prime. So I'm not hung up on the fact that they didn't get Simmons, but I suppose it might have been a little bit better of an offer. I think Houston was handicapped. I, I the, the other thing I'd add is I don't know why they made the trade now. They could have just let him sit, yeah. you know, and wait a month. So – that's what I don't get. I don't get what the rush was. I know, so it came out that Tillman Fertitta promised Harden that he would get traded, but on Houston's timetable. Yeah. Fine. And and it seems like they kind of panicked a bit with what happened yesterday. All of a sudden, like you said, this the situation got out of hand really quick. And I, I don't know why they, they bit the bullet this early. Because I think Brooklyn, especially the way the Kyrie situation, which we'll, we'll get to later, is unfolding. I think they were still going to realize that they need to make this splash move. So they were still going to be on the hook. Philly as well. I don't think you're going to lose suitors by waiting it out a little bit. Oh. Um, and 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 I don't know. I, I think, see, look, the thing with Simmons, even if you're not high on Simmons, I think with any of these deals, okay, look, you get a bunch of picks, you're going to rebuild. But at least those picks, at least in the short term, are not going to be guys you build around. Right. You're getting guys in the late first round. They're going to be role players. Ideally, you have one young guy on your roster who you can kind of try to to figure out and like you know what that team structure, what that team is going to look like in the future. Yeah. Simmons, you can at least test it out, see for a couple of years what what you know if it yeah. works or not. Um, the thing he's I don't a better like, asset, yeah, even if you right? want. Even if you had guys like Jarrett Allen and you know Spencer Dinwiddie, and none of these guys are moving the needle, but you know there's some semblance of a structure there. You're now in this no man's land where you have a bunch of vets and then a bunch of late first rounders for the next few years. I don't know what they're going to do. And so I was hoping they'd get some kind of return in terms of a player, but, um, uh, or wait at least until you got a better deal. Like Tyrese Maxey may not have been on the table now, but, you know, why don't you put the pressure on Philly? Like maybe right. he ends up getting thrown in later on. Like, yeah. And if Harden's toxic to the team, just keep him away from the team, still keep paying him, right? Like we've yeah. seen this with Anthony Davis, it wasn't out of a case of being toxic. It was out of a case of just protecting the asset, protecting against injury. 
but they stopped playing him down the stretch. If you remember, I think he set out the last 10 games. He would intermittently yep. sit out stuff like that. And then he's not a cancer in the locker room. He's not like, you know, loafing on the court. And it's not like people do you really, let me ask you this. Cause I think Simmons and Rosillo were talking about this today. They did an emergency pod. Do you think that his value went down from how bad he looked this season? Because I, yeah, I don't think any smart NBA team is looking at at that and then making a decision. I don't think his value went down. Okay, um, I would agree because I think as much as he came in out of shape, as much as he was partying and being a shitty person and teammate, he still dropped forty four and seventeen yeah. in his first game. So. Oh. It almost felt like he was like, I just got to show him I could still do this once, and then everything else I'm coasting. Because he has not played like he, how he played in game one again this season. And the other thing is, Harden has not been a perennial malcontent. Like, he's had his affinity for strip clubs and all of that, but he's every year he's worked hard. He's been in pretty good shape. He's one of the most durable players in the NBA. Um, and so I would trust that resume over, you know, this season where, of course, he was not motivated. He's been loafing. Um I don't think that takes away what he's been able to do in his career. So a lot of people are so down on Harden because of this season. And I'm like, like you said, he literally was putting up big points when he was out of shape and really not giving a shit. So And not have been in, not have been in practice at not, all. Yeah, us. exactly. So I, I'm not worried about him as a player at all. I think he gets too much flack in general. I think if he's motivated, which you know, time will tell how he gets motivated in this team, but um, he's, still, he's still an MVP winning like constantly top three MVP finishing talent. Yeah. One thing that you brought up just now that I don't want to skip over here is I don't really understand why Cleveland was involved in this deal. And the <laughs> reason for that is why did the Rockets not just take back Allen versus getting Exum in this like late pick from Milwaukee? That's Milwaukee's pick next year. That's going to be 28, 29, 30, right? Yep. Jared Allen is a better prospect. Now you do have to pay him this summer. So that could have been part of the calculus, especially for an owner who's looking to cut costs, which is really shitty when that factors into the basketball decision making. And it's possible it had because you look for so many prospects rather than players. Um, But at the same time, Jared Allen is a very tradable asset who I think you could get something better than Milwaukee's first next year. So I would have just asked for him. I'm like, okay, you have him and Wood and Cousins. You'll figure it out. This team wasn't going to win the title this year anyway. That was the most confusing part of this trade. How I mean, Cleveland kind of just stole Jared Allen out of nowhere. Okay. And Houston, uh, it, it definitely is a money thing. It reeks of them not wanting to get in the situation where they have to pay him. Another reason why they took Depot, they don't, you know, some people are like, why don't you try Karis LeVert? He's young. Maybe he's a piece you can use. Um, another reason, or they'd rather just take that expiring contract in Depot and then clear the books. Uh, you think they're going to let him walk? They might no look. They can use this season as a test, as a test run, right? Let's say they don't like him, they can let him walk. If they really want to completely blow it up, you don't have to marry yourself to Vic Oladipo. You don't, but that would be true NBA owner malpractice if he just let Oladipo walk like that. We'll see what he commands, right? I'm just saying that I I don't know. It gives them flexibility. At the end of the day, this trade gives them maximum flexibility. Yeah. Um, well, so that, I was actually under the impression that they would keep him. And then I was like, it's actually going to be more costly to do that versus just keeping Karis at his 17 million a year value. But if they 
you know, go down the route of what you're saying, which is like, maybe they don't think of him as the part of the long-term plans. They're just trying to reset the salary sheet. I'll be, I, mean, really I don't know upset. what their long-term plan is. Like, look at that roster. Like, do they, is, are they trying to compete now? You think, you think they're trying to wall Oladipo and cousins. They're trying to make a run this season. <laughs> they need to move PJ Tucker. I don't think there's many suitors for Eric Gordon, but they got to get rid of him too, if they can. I mean, like, yeah, I feel bad for wall and, and whatnot, but he also is not really a guy that, he's not a star anymore and that he could be like, Oh man, I'm in a bad situation. He is part of the bad situation. Right. Um, so this brings us to Harden in Brooklyn. So let's, t- let's go here. So we've never seen um, in NBA history, one team have two, three times scoring champs, which they now do in Durant and Harden. Not to mention the third guy is on par from a usage standpoint as the first two. Maybe not quite Harden levels, but Harden, you know, he's similar to Durant and Kyrie. Uh, they've given up all of their depth between this trade and, of course, the Dinwiddie injury. But I don't know that anybody in the East has anywhere close to the top flight talent um, that the Nets now, you know, are able to try it out there. So where are you on this hard into Nets move in terms of um, their championship window and their championship likelihood? Look, I'm all in on the Nets doing this move. And I, I just don't understand people saying, oh, what about the fit? What about, you know, you've given up, you have no depth on your team. You've given up your future. This is what the Nets did with Paul Pierce and KG. In my mind, the Nets were already in championship mode when they got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Like, at that point, you're already 80 85% in trying to compete for a championship. You have a chance now to get James Harden, complete a trifecta, and put yourself in the front runner, at least in the, as an Eastern Conference favorite, with getting James Harden into the mix. So, if I'm the Nets, I do this 10 times out of 10. I don't care yeah. about the future. Like, because people talk about those first-round picks. Well, even if you have Kyrie and uh, KD... Late first round picks the next couple of years, they're not getting you any guy useful for your roster. Right. And if you say, oh, well, those are assets, assets for what? To trade for a superstar like Harden? I mean, that's what you're doing right now. Yeah. So, you know, the, the talk about, you know, the future and all that is overrated when you're in it to win it now anyway with Kyrie and KD. So I think it was the right move. I think it does make them the favorites in the East. Yeah. I don't think it makes them the favorites overall because the Lakers are just still too good and too deep. Yeah. And the challenge with this Nets team is going to be how do they fill out the rest of the roster? Um, you know, how do they uh, build that defense? And is DeAndre Jordan now all of a sudden going to play 30, 35 minutes now with Jared Allen gone, right? Like, and he's yeah. not in that mode. The last thing I'll say is there's going to be a fit issue. Um, Durant, we know, can play that kind of secondary, ter- you know, uh, scorer, but. KD or so with Kyrie and Harden, one of them has to learn how to play more off ball. And both of them haven't shown an affinity to do that in the last couple of years. So that's going to be the biggest sticking point. But overall, I think, look, I'm all for it. I think they, they made the right move. You definitely make this move. Uh, if this is the only move out there, the question I'd have is, are there, were there any other more malleable stars, not of James Harden's stature necessarily, but of an all-star caliber level? that could have been had that wouldn't disrupt the flow quite as much. So the first name that obviously comes to mind is Bradley Beal. I don't think the Wizards are ready to trade him as much as they probably should be. But 
after that, it's kind of a short list in terms of like the disgruntled star like bank right now. You know what I mean? Um, there aren't really a lot of other guys who who are in a position that they could be traded. So yes, you go all in for them. Yes, they're the favorite in the East, but I don't think I can ever remember a player of his caliber and his just usage being traded mid-season like this. Um, with a league that's basically not practicing to limit COVID exposure, um, you know, they're trying to get rid of shoot-arounds, they're trying to get rid of team meetings. Um, with a star in Kyrie who's just gone AWOL for a week and a half and nobody really knows where he is um, or what he's up to or when he's coming back. And, you know, a guy who's in Durant, who's one of the three best players in the world right now. Um, and Harden thinks of himself as one of the three best players in the world. Like, at least with the Warriors, with KD and Steph, those two, even if there was an alpha battle, it was just a two-person alpha battle. In Miami with the Heatles, it was just a two-person alpha battle. I can't remember an instance where I've seen a three-person alpha battle like this. And make no mistake, Kyrie thinks of himself in that same tier as Harden and Durant as well. Like, they all think they have three of the top six players in the league. And whether or not that's the case, they're all expecting to play like a top six player in the league and get the touches associated with the top six player in the league. And, you know, Durant's only one of the three, like you said, that's really ever sacrificed shots, minutes, points in a meaningful way. And even and in he those got sick of it. <laughs> yeah, he got sick of it. And even in those Warriors days, he was averaging 25 a game, 26 a game on ultra-efficient basketball. So it wasn't like... He was scoring 20 or 18 like Chris Bosh did back in, you know, the 2011, 2012 seasons. So I don't know if it'll work. I don't even know when we're going to see all these guys together. You make the trade because more often than not, talent wins out. But if you're asking me, do I pick them against the Bucks? Sure. Do I pick them against the Lakers? Absolutely not. I mean, the Lakers are mowing people down. LeBron is out here playing back-to-backs in Oklahoma City. This team is hyper-focused, destroying worlds. I don't see them as better than the Lakers, even if they do get into a more of a well-oiled machine. And that's not even accounting for the fact that it's mid-January and they got four or five months to figure out how to incorporate all of these guys. You give you give your shot against you give yourself a shot against the Lakers. And it's also not about this year only. Like right. it's about next that's year true. too, right? That's like true. this year may be a lost year just because we know these things take time. Um, and, you know, to your point about why not go after a guy like Bradley Beal, I think there's a big difference between going after a top five guy and going after a top 15, top 20 guy. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, when the Cavs got Kevin Love, another all-NBA player, superstar talent, I would argue Kevin Love was a little bit disappointing, right? I don't, I mean, it ended up working out for the Cavs. They won a title, but he wasn't exactly what they pictured him to be. Um, he had to change his role quite a bit, and he ended up, kind of devaluing a lot of the the capabilities that made him great paul george also not a top five guy more in that five to 15 range clippers struggled more than we thought last year so you know bradley beal's great but i think beal versus harden is still such a big leap that if you're is it? all in you might is as it well right now i do so. we okay look we haven't seen beal i love beal beal scoring 30 something a game we haven't seen beal play a meaningful playoff game since 2017 we haven't seen Beal go up against like really good teams. Like dropping thirty in the, like a game in the NBA today is not as big of a deal as it used to be. That's and, that's true. And so I don't like I, look. Beal's a great guy, but like we're, 
you're still undermining what Harden has been able to do these last couple seasons. But what are you Harden, asking Harden to do for the Nets that you don't think Durant or Kyrie can accomplish? Like, what's that next thing he's going to bring? Um, like you said, he does not play off ball, right? Ever. He literally stands there. Kyrie, at least, he can play off ball. He played off ball with LeBron. Granted, he didn't do it much in Boston, and that was kind of one of the problems. And he hasn't really had to do it a lot in Brooklyn because Durant was out last season. So what's Harding going to do on this team, do you think, that's going to elevate them past like a Lakers? Put Beal aside. I'm saying he wasn't even likely to be traded. Whether it's this season, whether it's next season, I'm really trying to figure this out because in 2K, you put these three guys together and suddenly you're averaging 148 a game. In the real world NBA, well, the way defense is played, maybe you're doing that anyway, but in the real world NBA, I really worry about defensively. How are they going to get stops from a team that already struggled defensively and got rid of like their one role player who actually cared about that in Jared Allen? And can they get consistent stops? And then secondly, I'll go back to it. Is Harden going to provide them something that Durant couldn't? No, look, it's it's like me saying, why did the Warriors need to get Kevin Durant? They have Clay, they've got Steph. Like it's it's just more scoring. The Warriors didn't need more scoring. Everyone agreed with that. Like, look, you can always say, oh, it's not the perfect fit. Ideally, uh, a defensive wing would have been a perfect fit for him. But guess what? You can't just choose what All NBA player you're getting. Harden's available. You figure out the fit. Like they're going to be a high scoring team. They're going to have weaknesses on defense. That we know is going to be clear. But also, I don't. Their crunch time offense. You talk about, you know, who's how are they going to get stops? How is anyone going to stop them in the fourth quarter? Like, there's literally three options that you have, and it's going um, to be insane. And Harden, you know, he can't play the same step back, high usage game he played in Houston. You can argue, is he willing to do that? He'll have to be willing to change that because that's not going to work. And then all of a sudden, you have Harden driving to the rim. You have KD either cutting or kind of sitting out on the perimeter. You have Kyrie also, he can dish it out soon. He can make something happen with a couple seconds left in the shot clock. No one's going to stop them in crunch time. You you and I talked about this in the offseason, right, when the trade demand request came out. And, and I asked you, and you said that Harden could play different styles. He just doesn't, he hasn't had been asked to yet. Yeah. Then Steven Silas comes in and he's putting in a new offense, a little bit more pick and roll, a little bit less isolation ball. And while, you know, that's happened to some extent with Christian Wood. He's still playing the most ISO ball in the league. And so I, I know that his, this situation was not one that he was putting a ton of effort into, and I understand that. And this is actually what he's gotten. He's, he's wanted to go to Brooklyn, and so therefore maybe he might try and get in shape. But I don't think he could just change the exact way he's played basketball for the last five, six years. Even if you say the first part of the Rockets tenure, he didn't play like this, which he didn't. But he has been playing this way at an inordinate amount of minutes, taking an inordinate amount of shots, and it's been effective. It's been effective to the tune of some of the most efficient and productive offensive seasons we've ever seen in league history. And now you're going to say, well, no, you got to do it this way under a first-year coach who's probably like, what the fuck did I sign up for in Steve Nash? And, you know, it's always a blessing to coach Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, but to do it together – with D'Antonio on the staff, by the way, I, I don't even know what's about to happen. This so is that's the other big point. They've got D'Antonio on the staff. Harden's got familiarity with D'Antoni. And they actually have had a pretty good relationship, despite you know what it looked like at the end there. I Look, they don't need to win it this year. Everyone's acting like they need to win the title this year. They've got time. Like These guys are in their prime, sure. 
But they got one more a, year. It's not a uh, Darren Williams, Pierce, Garnett, uh, net situation where literally if they didn't win that year, which they didn't and weren't even close, and those guys aged pretty quickly. They've got another year. So Harden, they can, this year can be a year where they figure it out. Like, look, as much as you say Harden can only play high usage, he's still an amazing basketball player. He can figure it out. And if he doesn't want to figure it out, well, that's, you know, it, it won't work. But talent-wise, he can do it. It's not like he's limited in his skill set. It's not like he's physically incapable of playing a high usage game. That was my point. And so it's not just about the usage, though. It's about the style of ISO versus other ball movement more cutting anything off ball anything Harden, just like yeah Harden can drive to the rim and kick he can play drive and kick but and is Durant gonna want to just stand around no he needs his iso touches I'm not saying they're not gonna be awesome I think they will be but this is gonna be fascinating to see this all get figured out the thing I don't understand is why would Durant sign off on this and the reason I say that is because Durant won rings with Golden State and then it got clear that he was not happy with kind of just being a cog in that system. He wanted to be his own team, his own terms. And so he paired up with Kyrie, but now you're back into a situation like golden state where you're going to have to defer. And if you win, there might be people who say, well, you have to team up with two stars to do it. So So two reasons, two reasons. One, you don't consider what KD did with golden state, the same as what LeBron Wade and Bosch did with Miami. Correct. I know, and yeah. And this is more the Miami situation than the Golden State situation. In fact, it's nothing similar to the Golden State situation. He joined an already established team that had won a title, won the most number of games of all time. Secondly, the idea of being a cog in the system versus the man was more a perception than a reality, and I think that's what really frustrated him. He was the best player in that team. He was the finals MVP, and it was still, you know, Steph was still given all of the credence and and all of the, the, the love. In this case, he's clearly the, the the best player, the alpha, and this is his team. And there's no mistaking that. And so I think that's why it's different from what, what the criticism was that he faced in Golden State. That's fair. And I actually like that you brought up the, the comparisons to LeBron, Heat, and then him and Golden State. I don't have a problem with this super team. I don't. And of I think course, it's totally different. Your boy no, did. I, don't, I think it's totally different. Now, I'll tell you why. Right When, when Durant joined Golden State, Everyone penciled them in for a championship. It was the same exact team. They add Durant, pencil them for a championship. This is another situation like the LeBron Miami situation where it's like you've got three guys, you don't know how they're going to fit, and you got no one else on that roster. And so all the questions you're asking, who's going to play defense? Who's in the, you know, filling out the rest of that crunch time lineup? Um, you know, all these, other, all these other questions are unanswered. And that's why no one right now is picking the Nets to win the title. Right. There are a lot of questions and a lot of skeptics. And so this you're right. Durant should realize that this is the difference between teaming up with a bunch of superstars on your own terms, where you're the head guy, you're trying something new versus joining an already established super team. And I think this like hammers home that point. For the record, Miami was picked to win the title that first year. The fact that they lost to Dallas is literally the major black mark on LeBron's GOAT candidacy for a, for a pick, reason. Picked to win, but at the same time, we saw how hard it was. Forget about Dallas itself. We saw how hard it was and that it wasn't as easy. Right. The right. Warriors, on the other hand, it was never hard at any point. The other the that. other example is Boston in 07-08, right, where they get all these guys together and then they go win the t- And they actually won it year one. 
Yeah. But it was a different set of characters. It was a defense-driven team with Kevin Garnett, and they were a little older, a little bit less ego, a little bit less kind of like separate agendas as what you see with this big three. And I don't think it can be understated that making these kind of moves midseason is hard. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's not as much of like, oh, do you know our plays or not, right? Because Harden, Durant, Kyrie will figure it out. It's more just like, how do we learn to do this when you do that or to move here when you've you've made this move or to, to switch in this manner or do whatever? And I think there could be more lapses like that. That being said, the finals are in July, so they have enough time to work it out. And to your point, it's not a this year thing. However, I would caution they all three have player options after next summer. So just like the way we were we were on Giannis watch, Kawhi watch, PG watch, and two of those three have been taken care of since with extensions, and I think Kawhi will re-sign, it's going to be the same way until these dudes are all committed for the next run with yeah. Brooklyn. I mean, that's a, that's a risk that all these teams are running into. The Lakers, same thing with Anthony Davis, right? Um, and everyone thought he was going to re-sign with L.A., but still, his contract ended, and you know now he re-upped, but you didn't know that for sure. Right. Same thing with Paul George. That's a risk you just have to take. Um, and but yeah, it could backfire if all those guys leave. It could completely backfire. But I don't know, man. I think it'll be interesting as a. I think everyone is interested to see how that usage gets distributed. Who's taking? The, someone's got to have to take a backseat. Yeah. And with Kyrie and his, who knows what he's thinking? Like. I don't know how that's going to play into all of this either. Uh, and I was just going to say, that's the elephant in the room, right? Do you think part of making this trade, I, I, I said it on Twitter today and I was like, you know, a big part of the trade was like, who cares about depth? They got a three-headed monster, unlike anything we've seen in the league. What happens when that's potentially a two-headed monster, right? Or... And I don't mean to say that Kyrie's going to walk away from the NBA or he's not going to be available in the playoffs, but, and I have no clue why he's away right now. I think there's been rampant speculation, some good, some bad, and really there's no point of us guessing. But what happens when he does this in a month? He does this in two months. Would he ever miss a playoff game because of something like this? And if it's serious enough to go away from the team and not even communicate why it's gone, I'd have to think, Whatever it is, if it if it pops up again, let's say it's social justice related. If that's something else, you know, something else happens down the line and you know his mind is somewhere else, like we don't know what his availability is going to be. And now I wonder if part of the reason for that trade was to make sure that Durant did have someone who was going to be there and be able to go get 30 every night. It's an expensive insurance policy, but um I, I mean that's part of it. And there's also rumors, I mean, or a line of thinking that Kyrie got wind of this trade happening um, and he wasn't. Happy. Oh, he wasn't on board with it. Yeah. Wasn't on board with it. And then he left. I mean, obviously I doubt that's the case, but I'm just saying like, you know, who knows what he's thinking? None of us know. Yeah. And this would be an expensive insurance policy, but you know what? Let's say Kyrie, for whatever reasons, the odd man out, let's say he's the one who's struggling to fit in. He's the one who doesn't like the situation anymore. They could flip him. And guess what? You're fine with Durant and Harden. Like that, maybe that makes things easier. You flip yeah. Kyrie, maybe you fill it like in those other gaps defensively. You make it work with some other guard. I mean, there's plenty of vets you can get. Um, I would I be know. surprised if they did it only because Durant and Kyrie were literally a, a package deal. 
And yeah, but if Kyrie yeah. asked for it, right? It's it's not if if they would just go ahead and make that decision. If Kyrie, yeah. it gets so bad that both everyone's like, look, all right, it's better for us if Kyrie, you just leave, and he wants to leave. They could do it. The trade that I had kind of thought up in my mind for Kyrie would be to Denver for Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, if I'm Denver, I say no. Why? Michael I mean, Porter Kyrie Jr. is a piece. He's not gonna. He's gonna say no to the vaccine. He's gonna infect the whole team. Dude. What are you talking about? Uh, I, dude, yeah. And Jamal Murray, your boy scores thirty-five one game and seven the next game, and you want me to like build him a statue? Yeah, he's not my boy. But yeah, right after I said, you know what? He's up to scoring average. He's looking a little bit better. He dropped another clunker. So yeah. Side note on Denver, though, they do need to be worried by how incredible Jokic has been and how. <laughs> Like bad, bad the team looks. Like I don't think it's possible for him to play any better. He's playing like, I mean, yeah. it's as good as anybody in the league is playing, frankly. And they're still five hundred or something right around there. Yeah, I, I don't know what why it's like that. And you can't blame it all on Jeremy Grant and Plumley leaving. Like that doesn't explain it. But I don't know. I, I think Brooklyn. Um, I don't know. Kind of wrap this up. I, I like I like the move. Uh, I'm just maybe you know what's I guess what was your next question? What was so the next, next question? I, I, like, I think we just need to talk broadly on. We've reached a point of no return. It feels like in terms of superstar trade demands and how they're orchestrated, how they're executed, um, how quickly they happen, and there's a lot of different arguments for whether this is good or bad in the sense of player empowerment. But I just wanted to talk about that, right? Because Putting aside player empowerment and everyone's hate of capitalism and the structures of society and all those things now, you have to think about if the business of the NBA is the primary focus for both the players and the owners, right? Because ultimately the business doing better is going to create more wealth for everyone. Is this good for business? Um, is it good to have teams stick together for 18 months and then say, hey, no, we want to try something new? Is it good for uh National TV game last night, Rockets, Lakers, James Harden to literally be like laying on the court, right? And and getting his shit swatted by AD, falling down, throwing passes into the stands. Like, is that good for the NBA? Now, this is less about, oh, well, you know, if you count free agency, sorry, restricted free agency after rookie deal, seven years of control minimum, blah, blah, blah. So less about that. Forget all that for a second. Forget who's in the right and who, who should have or le- have more or less power. Ultimately... The goal should be how do we make this business as profitable and as interesting and as um, widespread as we can. And I don't know that what's happening between you know Kawhi and Paul George and Kyrie and Jimmy Butler and all these guys. I don't think that that's a good thing. So let's talk. Let's let's start there and talk about what Harden did specifically, and then you know what's been happening across the league. Well, I hate it first of all because I think there's different ways you can go about it. So let's talk about Oladipo for a second. Oladipo this summer requested a trade, um, and it made the news, and he asked the the Pacers to move him. Um, but you know what happened? They didn't do anything. They sat on him, and he played the good soldier. He, he, he suited up for every game, came to training camp, is playing relatively well, and did he get shipped to the destination he wanted? I'm not sure. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think – the difference, I, I don't have a problem with players asking for trades. I don't have a problem with players saying, look, 
This isn't working out. I need to get moved. And that type of empowerment I'm on board with. I have a problem when you're holding a franchise hostage, when you're holding your coach hostage, when you're disrupting the entire locker room to get what you want. And I think that is what's causing a problem. And like you said, the Rockets go on national TV last night and it's a pathetic display. And then uh, after the game, you have Wall, Cousins, all these guys, rightfully so, taking shots at Harden. Um, And I'm glad they called him out because I I couldn't believe that, by the way. For two newcomers who have no stature in the league anymore to to go after an MVP like Harden, I was amazed. I was amazed too. I loved both their press conferences, and I think they felt empowered by the fact that each both of them were going to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how was it Wall who said he came. He was like, "I came here for for cousins, not Harden." No, it was cousins who said that. I'm sorry, cousins said that. Well, yeah, didn't really have a choice anyway. But yeah, Walt's like, yeah, I made this my personal decision to come to Houston. Uh, that was entirely my own choice, and I'm happy with it. So I, I think this is a problem for the NBA. We can already see it with Kyrie too, where he's just you know taking off for God knows how many days, and and people are like, oh, for his mental, health, you know, like he can do what he has the right to do. No, like these guys owe something to the team. They need to build in more. Uh, I don't know how you enforce this, but some kind of penalties, some kind of mechanisms to, to de-incentivize this. I, I'm i not happy. I don't want to play. I'm going to kind of torpedo my team season until you get yeah. what I want. Well, so what's interesting is like, ultimately, these guys are not going to go anywhere if the team is good and competing for a title, right? James Harden is the level of player in which he believes every single year he should compete for a title. And I don't actually think he's wrong in that regard. The problem is when the when the team around him sucks, he's not good enough to be able to lift everyone from being like mediocre to being great. There's very, very few players in NBA history who can really do that. I would say in the current league, I don't know that anybody besides LeBron can probably do that no. uh, and take bad and make them successful. Um, which means you you are relying quite a bit on your front office. You're relying quite a bit on coaching and ownership to willing to you know be willing to open the checkbook, and that seemed to be where Harden's issues lay. Now he was the reason they made a lot of those moves, including trading Chris Paul for Westbrook. But at the end of the day, I do feel for him in this regard. He looks around that team, and what he said last night wasn't wrong. The chemistry sucks. The talent is just not in the same league as the championship contender like the Lakers. It's it's far from it. You're counting on the broken down bodies of John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins and up-and-comer Christian Wood who's looking to shoot every time he touches the ball to, to try to compete with LeBron and AD. It's not going to happen. Now, are there different ways to go about it in more professional, more mature ways? Absolutely. And that's what irked me the most. Because if you want to be pro player, why not be pro player of the teammates that he's screwing over yeah. that have hitched their wagons to J- uh, J- uh, James Harden, right? And why not be pro like all of the guys like Paul, uh, Steven Silas, the first time head coach, all of these different things that are, it's not just binary, like either you support Tillman Fertitta or you support James Harden. That's not the question. There's a lot more factors in play. And I think if you say, look, well, he doesn't want to get hurt, then don't play at all. Don't go out there and make a, make a joke of the whole league and the whole game. Um, It's a sideshow at that point. Like I said, Anthony Davis, by the time the trade request went in, he started shutting it down or when they would play, they would only play him 20 to 25 minutes. But you know what he did that season? He went balls to the wall. His numbers are as good as any year in his career. And so 
like you said with the Oladipo example, these guys are not NFL running backs. They don't have to protect their bodies in the same way. These guys are not NCAA athletes. They have guaranteed contracts that are far, far more than any other league. James Harden turned down two years, $100 million extension because he didn't want to be there. So this isn't a question of protecting your money or anything like that. It's a question of being a professional. And in this whole era of like, well, just do whatever you feel and it's all good. We've lost the idea of like being a responsible adult. And I think that's been true across the board in the NBA. And even if you want to trade, which to your point, you're totally at your own rights to do. If the team wants to grant it, they can, you know, they could trade you any day. So why should you show them loyalty? Whatever. There's ways to go about it. And he did not choose one that I thought was um, in any way, shape or form the right path. Yeah. And you look at so many other guys around the league, right? Like you look at LeBron in Cleveland, um, and he put he is the one who wanted to pay up for Tristan and all these guys. And then they got in a situation where Kyrie left. Um, you got this broken down team. You got George Hill, Larry Nance. Fine. You played through it. And then what? After his contract was done, he bounced. Right. Like that. It, the, the solution is not the moment things don't look good. You throw up a storm and kind of just torpedo the season. And. I think with James Harden, he's got PJ Tucker on this team, Eric Gordon. Like, how can you look? Those guys went to war with you these last couple of years. Right. And you're going to turn around and them do them dirty. Like, I know they're not your stat, like superstar stature, but they've been through all this. And now they have to deal with this team, this new coach, this new situation. And you're the one who's like crying about it. And so, and, you know, it's not only about complaining and playing poorly. It's not showing up to camp. Um, you know, partying, breaking protocols. Like you're literally doing every single thing to throw up a middle finger to the franchise that has done everything you asked for, has surrounded you with great players and has almost led you to a title. And like, I feel bad for Rockets fans, man. Cause like that was their guy. That's the guy when the internet was slandering, you know, James Harden and everyone's talking crap about him. They, you know, defended him left and right. And now what do you say about your favorite player? Who's like, I want nothing to do with this team. Like, or this yeah, team. I've done it all. Like, I'm sorry, I can't do And, like, the difference between AD in, in New Orleans or even, like, a Jimmy Butler in Minnesota is they had no decision rights in how the organization was set up, how the yeah. roster was set up, how the coaching and scheme was. This was entirely predicated on, on Harden. And it's he's playing for one of the most esteemed, successful franchises of all time. Like, Houston hasn't won a title since 95, but they've been in the mix – in the playoffs almost year after year, it's one of the best franchises in a best in a top city that attracts talent. Now, if you say, well, that was also Les, Leslie Alexander's Rockets, right? Like the Tillman Fertitta Rockets are nowhere close. I actually think that that's fair, right? Yeah. Fertitta seems by all accounts a, a horrific owner. Um, I don't know if his political support or not was part of it. I know that's been reported, but then again, Harden's never said anything politically driven. Yeah. So I'm not really sure if he like is aware of what's, go what's going on in the world, but at the same time, they were the way they were set up was because of you. You were good as recently as a year and a half ago. Even last year's team was pretty decent. You just ran into the Lakers who killed everyone. Yep. Um, and that's just one of those things that I I don't know, man. Like I don't hate Harden in the regards to like a lot of people hate the way he plays and that's turned into hating him. I've not been in that camp. I'm mesmerized by his production, but this one was one of the worst. I, I likened it. Um, I'm pissed because Simmons said this on his pod again, but I thought of it earlier today to Vince Carter quitting uh, in Toronto. Yeah. 
That was the last time I could really think of a player actively quitting like that on the court. It just does not happen in this league because of guaranteed contracts, because of just their competitiveness. Um, there's no holding out. There isn't some of the structures that you see in other sports. And so it sucks that he, that he had to go this route and ultimately got his wish too. That's maybe that's the worst That's the thing. Part. It's only going to um, encourage this behavior in the future. Embolden players to do this because, hey, look, it works. You don't even have to show up and play hard. Just throw your tantrums. Um, and it'll work. So I, I don't know. I don't like how it's happened. I am interested though. I think it makes the league more, the league is always more interesting with more super teams, regardless of what people say about parity. That's that's what drives ratings. Um, and if you can get one in New York, I mean, yeah, exactly. And it's funny now, all these superstars that were out West, um, Harden, Durant, like all these guys, all of a sudden on the East, (laughs) That's true. Um, I didn't think about that. Harden is actually shifting the balance a little bit back um, to the East because the East has gotten better, but they still lacked some of the top flight talent, especially when LeBron went West. Exactly. Now Now you've got Giannis, Harden, Durant, like Embiid, Embiid, Beal. uh, Troy Brown. True. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The the other thing I was going to add – Let's quickly talk about Indiana because they were part of this deal. Indiana's a little bit better than I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Do you see them as doing anything more than, hey, we just rather have a cost-controlled Levert versus a guy who kind of wants out? Or do you see them capable of making a kind of run here um, with Levert as that third scorer filling in both the Oladipo role as well as, you know, TJ Warren's out with an injury? Like, how do you see them shaking out in the East? Because the East is kind of jumbled right now. Um, nobody's playing awesome yet. I think they like where they're at. I, I, I think the Levert move was, look, we already kind of know what we have in Oladipo. It's been kind of consistent the last couple of years. Let's shake it up a little bit. Let's get in Levert. Um, and I think they're they're happy with Sabonis. has been playing a, really well. Miles Turner has, has um, become a lot better again, I think. Last year, last couple of seasons, people were kind of down on him, but uh, always been a great defensive guy. He seems to fit better with Sabonis this season. I think they're happy where they're at. I mean, this is not a team that's going to be trying to gun for the one seed or the two seed or be the top team, but they're going to be, I think, could be in the top four. Um, and that's, you know, I don't think they're going to try to do much more than this. I think they're going to run with the squad and see what, what can happen. And we joke about Nate Bjorken, but he really has kind of unlocked that offense a little bit. Yeah. Um, they're more free-flowing. They had a big win, I think, last night or the night before in Golden State, right, where it looked like the Warriors were going to win, and they kind of held him off. Um, and, you know, Sabonis has become like a bonafide all-star now. Like last year, his selection really felt like, oh, a bunch of guys are hurt, right? And yeah. so that's why he's in. This year, I mean, he's been amazing, really. Like him and Brogdon have been so damn good that – I think the Levert fit will be perfect. Um, now, is he good enough to have changed their their trajectory versus Oladipo? Yeah. Probably not. Um, but they, they did need to shake something up because that roster as is, no matter what Bjorken has been doing with the offense, it's just yeah. kind of the same old team. Yeah. So I, I like the move, right? I like um, getting Levert in and getting Debo out. Um yeah. I mean, they're 11th in offense and defense, fourth in net rating. I think they're playing well. I would say this. If they made the conference finals, I would be pretty shocked. 
Yeah, I I don't think they're a second round team. They're, yeah, and if they get there, I think that's an improvement because they've been a first round and out almost every year since kind of those you know Paul George, George Hill teams. Um. All right, so let's move to the other big story that's kind of taken over the NBA right now. So James Harden was the bombshell that dropped, but pervading through the league is the massive coronavirus issues that um, several teams are be- are facing right now, and they've instituted some new protocols that almost appear a bit draconian in a way, um, with just how strict they are. But, you know, after they had so much success with the bubble, um, that was probably a non-starter. So they tried to come back in home arenas, but they went the total opposite way with how lax some of the rules were. And they faced the same kind of issues as the NFL and the MLB, but unfortunately they pay a lot more frequently than those two teams, those two leagues. And so we've had a bunch of cancellations already. So what's your take on this? Like, is this, doomed to fail or is there anything that they can do including what they did just now to to try to make it better i think they they messed up right from the start by not having tight enough protocols in place and the other thing you have to realize when people compare this to even um can't compare it to football we all know why when you compare it to baseball even like why did base baseball ended up working out now obviously the sport itself lends itself to more distancing yeah um they got to their season i think the other challenge is when stuff that happened early in quarantine, it was a lot easier to control. Um, just look at your own personal lives. When quarantine first started, it was easy to buy in. It was easy to kind of obey the rules a little bit more. Yeah. I think we've gotten to the point where, you know, the country in general and a lot of these players, I'm sure, it's been so long that you've been dealing with this that um, you've, you're frustrated, right? Yeah. And I think it feels even more suffocating doing this now and having these tight protocols now than it would have been six months ago. And so, especially because the season didn't start with these kind of really strict measures in place. Now when silver is trying to reintroduce them, players are kind of, you know, scoffing at it and no one really wants to buy in. And you already have a problem in the NBA where the players are empowered, right? And they, they are kind of ultimately what drives the league. And so, um, when they push back, it, it's a problem. It's a problem for, for Adam Silver, who likes to be buddy-buddy with all these guys. And now he has a, a crisis on his hands where it's impossible to control the spread of this thing. You're putting in all the tight protocols, but the players, like, union is not going to – I don't think – you know, I think they're going to raise a shitstorm over this. So I don't know. I think the problem started with not beginning the season with tight enough controls. I think they got lax. I think they took a lot of victory laps for how they handled the bubble. And they just weren't prepared. And now it's coming to bite them. Yeah, and it was also very rushed. I think the league was looking to start in February or yeah. March. And they they realized that we were so far away from defeating uh, the virus that there was no point starting in March. It would be as bad then as it was in December. So you might as well capitalize on the Christmas revenue, get the league started, and get back on the schedule for the next season, right? The problem, to your point, was there was no clear rules on anything um, either in terms of behavior or in terms of what happens when things go bad. For example, the 76ers were forced to play. They only had seven guys, but the rule is actually you need to have eight minimum guys, which is why you see so many um, so many games getting postponed. The Wizards played five straight games where someone tested positive, yeah. <laughs> yet they were allowed to keep playing, and now they're shut down. Yep. And of course they're shut down. Like Seth Curry tested positive, then Jason Tatum tested positive, then... Um, I even forget, but it just keeps going. And it's like, okay, well, 
what's the rule or what's the protocol and what's the time? You know, Kevin Durant was came into contact and he was immediately gone seven days, right? Half the Celtics players were listed as questionable because the rules did, were not the, quite the same despite the same outcome, which is a positive test of a teammate. Um, I think they're drawing dead in the sense of when the NFL has a positive test, it really only affects that positional group for the most part because they're the ones in the meeting rooms indoors. A cornerback is never talking to an offensive lineman in anything other than maybe the practice field. With the, with the NBA, they're all together. They're all indoors all the time, and they're never wearing masks. And so it was bound to happen. I think they're in a really troubling spot, right? Because especially if you think about the incubation period of this virus, like the Wizards, for example, had two positive tests on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, Monday, I think. Canceled, canceled the game Wednesday. Already canceled the game Friday, which means it's still trickling through the organization. It just didn't show up in those first rounds of tests. And so what are you going to do? This is going to happen. And the, the the measures that they put in place, have you read them? Because they're literally like, it's almost prison, essentially. Yeah. When you're in your home market, you can't go anywhere but the facility for team events and home to see your family, immediate family, no visitors. When you're on the road, you literally cannot leave your hotel room other than to go to the stadium. Okay. They used to have a list of approved restaurants, things like that. I think they got rid of all of it. Um, they've tried to change the on-court greetings. I was literally just watching Nets Knicks and Julius Randle and Kevin Durant were hugging for like two minutes. They did exactly what they told them not to do. Um, so I don't know what's going on. Can I say something very unpopular? Go for it. Can we just get these guys, can we just cut the line, get these guys 2,000 vaccines? There's literally millions of doses that are being unused right now. Like Pfizer and Moderna are sitting in these fridges all over the country. Every governor's heads up their ass have no idea how to distribute. Just let Alan Silver kind of go in there and quickly poach just a couple from each state. Yeah, I mean, no one will know. I mean, it's a distribution problem at this point. It's not a supply problem. Exactly. Um, And they could offer to help partner with Amazon in exchange to you know, Amazon's a league partner. They can figure it out. They're like, "Hey, you give us these vaccines now, then we'll help you get it to get it to everyone who needs it, and it'll be a lot faster." You were also the guy that recommended these teams all just get COVID in the off season, so they're done with it. And now Another not hear a that you can get it twice, and you know it's, that wouldn't have worked anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I look. They would never do that. The NBA is the moral ethical league. They're not going to cut in line. They got to find a way to do it. Um, People have a short memory. Do you, if you remember this summer, you remember how much outrage there was because they had all the rapid testing that nobody testing, else had? Yeah, testing is one thing. Okay, that was the name of the game. Of, but like, see, it's like I said, we know it's a distribution issue. But what will be told to the public is that before like healthcare workers and frontline workers, the NBA, rich, entitled NBA players are getting a vaccine. It's not going to play well. AOC is going to go on IG Live and just crucify poor Rui Hachimura, who's not even going to know what's, what happened. <laughs> exactly. But honestly, like, I, you know, when you think about the billion dollar industry and the fact I, that. I get it. I'm kidding. But I do think that, like, what they're trying to do right now is never going to work. We're going to deal with this. Like, can they get through the season? Yes. Are they going to have a ton of postponements? Yes. And if that they're all okay with that, then I guess we just kind of plow forward and see what happens. Very similar to the NFL that everyone, you know, had fun criticizing. 
all this is it's it's a big ego thing, right? Like if these t- if these leagues were smart, I always said I don't know why the NFL didn't build in an extra bye week, so when things do get postponed, you can reschedule easily instead of pushing to Wednesday and Thursday and jeopardizing like all these games. Have a week where there's no games at all and put schedule additional games then. I thought the NBA should have done something similar, especially seeing what the NFL went through. Don't do 72 games. Maybe do 60, right? I know they, they wanted to get as much revenue. Yeah, they can't. That was a non-starter. But, those, but like, why? Like, why is this a non-starter? Because they, they so have TV money. contracts. They're already getting 40% of the haircut from the lack of gate revenue. They have to meet the 72-game mark. This is why we had the bubble not go straight Fine. to the playoffs. They have to make 72. Go go deep into the into the summer. Like, well, so this is what they did as maybe a compromise. They only released the schedule for the first half of the season. Yeah. The schedule is actually not – while they do have dates for when they expect the playoffs and finals to commence, there is no schedule for the second half for this reason. Yeah, so they have the flexibility in terms of moving games around, but they still got to fit the same number of games in that window. So if you postpone a bunch of games, it's still not solving the problem. Now you can rejigger the schedule so you don't have conflicts, but you're going to have maybe teams. I don't know if this will happen, right? This is worst case scenario. You're going to have a team who has to play three games in a row, three nights in a row, just to get the schedule. Right. Which if playoff seeds and balance and all those kinds of things are going to be crazy. Cause even if you would want to rest Dame Lillard, who's maybe let's say they're fighting to get out of seven and get out of the playing tournament. They need to be yeah. in six. I mean, he's going three nights in a row. That's what happened in the 2011 lockout. And it was a disaster. The other thing is we're treating this like a pure logistics problem, like operations management class right now. What about the health of these guys who are just being put into this like COVID bubble essentially and being forced to interact with people who are definitely positive? Like I know as athletes, they're going to be most likely fine. But what about the kid from Florida who, you know, collapsed on the court? That was super scary. And even if that happened to one guy out of the 500 that are playing, that's too many. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm worried. Yeah, we haven't even considered that situation. Like he had it. He ended up playing. Um, And like, I'd be worried if I was a player, too. But I think I don't on it. I swear to like all these guys don't care. None of these guys think that um, they're not worried about their health. I mean, if they really cared about that stuff, they wouldn't complain about these all these strict protocols. They'd want to go do whatever they wanted to go do. Um, But there are players in the Right, like Miles Garrett, he got it. He still says he's not recovered. Lamar Jackson said he's not recovered. These are peak athletes. Um, It's not just – so I think the stupid way that a lot of people discuss – not you, but a lot of, um, let's say, those who were also probably attending the Capitol last week discuss (laughs) this is that they're like, oh, well, it's 99.999% survival, so who cares? It's like, well, there's other stuff that could happen that could still (laughs) suck. It doesn't have to be death or living as the only two options. Yeah. No, no, I know. There's long-term effects. I mean, even even Rudy Gobert talked about how um, there were some long-term kind of lingering effects he had with COVID, right? He was yeah. one of the first cases in the NBA. Uh, look, I get it. I'm just saying that I don't think the players are thinking about it as much as we are. Um, but I don't know what the NBA does, man. Like, I, you know, the one, the good thing, I forgot that they didn't schedule the second half of the season. I guess that's one good thing they've done. Uh, I, I'm just disappointed with Adam Silver in – and a lot has been said about Adam Silver already in that he's he's too busy all the time placating all the players and trying to be that, that he's never really had to bring the hammer down. And Stern was yeah. really good at that, and he hasn't done that. And 
I think it's time that he, you know, now they've put all these protocols in place. He's playing the tough guy, but it's always harder to come back and do it as opposed to setting that tone early on. So I'm hoping he's learned from this and the league has learned from this whole situation. I don't know how you're going to enforce it, right? Like some guys, like you talk about health, like they also have families, they have kids, they may live with their parents. Who knows? There could be a lot of people affected in their ecosystem outside of just them. Those guys might take this more seriously than the 22, 23 year olds who are in Miami playing for the heat, you know, who are everything's open. Like yeah. I understand some of the places in this country, like COVID does not exist. And yes, you could, you could flame them via social media. If you see pictures, the way we caught Lou Williams, the way we caught James Harden, et cetera. Yeah. But aside from that, what are you betting on? Like to try to make sure that these guys stay home, like you're not going to track them. You're just hoping that they follow the rules. And if they test positive, that contact tracing, then you can penalize, but it's all retroactive. Um, To your point, in those retroactive punishments, they really have to bring down the hammer to set the tone. Yeah. Or, you know, like what they should have done is at the beginning of the season, come up with this plan, make the punishments really severe. And if you don't want to play in the season, maybe there's some kind of opt-out clauses, things like that. You figure out something, but there's nothing like that in place. And now you're trying to figure out. Yeah. Do you remember Silver had the option to, to find James Harden more than he did or suspend him and lose game yeah. checks? And he didn't. And he didn't, said it yeah. would be unfair for me to start the way the season by doing that. Yeah, see, like, like, that's just... <laughs> you're dead by then. They're going to walk all over you. And that's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So what else you got? All right. Let's just give you two minutes here. Are you anything basketball? Anything, anything else? No, man. I think... Uh... I think we hit all the big topics. I'm I'm excited to see. Um, I mean, the, we didn't talk about Kyrie, but I don't know if there's anything more to say. I think we both agree what he's doing right now is just, it's, I, I mean, whatever he's going through, that's fine. It's just, you have to communicate with your team. I think that's all it is for me. You, you guys got to tell the something. team what's going on. Yeah. And, and it, this is ridiculous how long it's gone. And I wish there was some kind of punishment that could happen. I wish the team would do something, but the Nets are going to be on his side. They kind of knew they're signing up for him, but he's going to get, like, he's going to just come back and things are going to be fine. And I, yeah. I, I just don't like it. Don't and like everyone it. should be get in a given set of circumstances of why he's away. And it's possible the Nets are kind of like taking the no comment route because they do know. And they're just like, maybe it's not their news to share. Or it's something that he's asked them to just kind of deflect or whatever. We don't know the, yeah. like the inner workings, but I think the biggest challenge I have is ultimately their platform, their, their, their opportunities, everything is driven off of being a basketball player and, and being like as elite as something as they are at bas- playing basketball. And it's not saying by any means that should be their only or singular focus, but I do think that, and you see this with 99% of the league, that is their top priority. Right. And it's Kyrie's top priority, too. I'm not saying it's not. But I do think that like when it when there are conflicting priorities, I think the way you sort of the optics around how you present that is really important. Um, Being at your sister's birthday party, being on a Zoom call for, I think, a judge or mayor or something, whatever it was. All those things are if those are important to you, those are things you should be doing. But you can't have it both ways where you can't have it where I'm not going to speak. I'm just here to play basketball, but I also want to get paid $40 million a year, uh, which is a result of the whole ecosystem that exists, not just because I'm good at playing basketball. Cause if nobody cared, um, then, you know, you wouldn't make that kind of money and you need that kind of money. I think 
to go affect the kind of change that you're expecting to. So yeah, absolutely. And and I know that he might have cleared it with his team, and as long as they are on board, that's all that should matter. But I don't think it's like that. I think like it it it's disappointing for the rest of the league to go look at that situation and be like, a guy can just take off and earn his paycheck and not provide any reason or not any visible reason. Um, and clearly he's not, I mean, look, he, his reasoning may be, I need to take some time for my mental health. And as part of that, maybe he's celebrating his sister's birthday. He's also doing attending these conferences. Fine. But all that stuff that's coming out makes us realize that it's not something so troublesome that he couldn't tell, right? Like there are situations that, I get you want to keep private. You don't want to talk about, but there's got to be some kind of message you put out of the public. Like, look, he's taking some time for himself. Um, he's going to come back, you know, when he's ready. But it's, we don't know what he's doing. I mean, you know, we don't want to talk about it. We don't know what he's really yep. doing, but he just needs time. I'm glad the Drake thing turned out to not be true because that would have really yeah, been another level. So I hope he's doing well. Obviously, he's a... Phenomenal talent, mercurial player, but hopefully he's gonna, you know, get whatever it is that he needs to get right and feel right uh, and come back. Because then, at the end of the day, this Nets team would not be fun if if it didn't include, uh, you know, Kyrie at his the peak of his powers. Nope. All right, let's switch gears. I'm not gonna run away from what happened on Saturday night. Give me two minutes here. Uh, the Bucks have advanced. They beat Washington football team 31-23, just as you said they would. The Washington did cover. I did pick the money line outright, so that didn't quite happen. But yeah. what was your takeaway? Give me your shit talk. I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna just take it all. Look, the game was disappointing as hell for me because uh, Heineken Same. walked all over. You know, trampled all over us. Uh, we couldn't stop your crappy offense um you know and i 23 points against our defense and you know they were within one score for a lot of that game or at least in a lot of that second half uh and the game was way too close for my liking that being said what was the big narrative coming into this game tom brady's played some soft defenses the last four weeks oh the washington defense they've got this you know ferocious front line chase young this is like the giants brady you know the nfc east yeah. brady's enemy blah 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 and tom brady goes out throws for what 380 couple touchdowns dicing that defense left and right chase young can't touch him chase young registers zero uh qb pressures zero sacks um completely taken out of the game I don't know, man. Like that was a vintage Tom Brady performance. It was something like the one of the best defenses in the league who hadn't given up more than 20 points since November 15th gave up 31 to this Bucks team. So I I loved it. I loved watching the offense, hated the defense, but we came out with the win, and that's all that matters. Yeah, it was interesting because we couldn't stop Brady at all. I think he had 200 plus in the first half alone. Hitting Evans, hitting Godwin, uh, Antonio Brown shook loose for that long touchdown, and it looked like it was going to be a blowout. And then the offense on our end is actually what brought us back. I think it was eighteen sixteen and failed two point after Heineke's crazy run. And it was one of those situations where I was watching the game and never for a second thought we'd win, um, <laughs> unless by some fluke miracle. I thought the D line just didn't do what they were billed to be able to do. Um, and it wasn't even like Brady was only going to the quick 
passing game, right? Where it's hard to get to him. No. He was throwing the ball downfield, and that's what made me really worried. Is like Tristan Wirf played well against uh, Chase Young. You know, Montez Sweat got in there a couple times, drawn pain, but like other than that, we just got smoked. Even Fournette ran as well as he has almost all season. Yeah, he looked so good. Um, I mean, the Bucks, the Bucks did one thing. They went to max protect uh, more often than they did this entire season. So they had Fournette in there chipping, you know, rushers. Yeah, and he's a um, good pass blocker. Yeah, Donovan Smith was on Chase Young for a lot of the game, but they put Gronk on Chase Young a lot. Of, like there were a lot of possessions where Gronk was blocking him, and Chase Young could not get past Gronk. And, you know, that's one thing that doesn't get talked enough about Gronk is how good of a blocker he is. And he's also willing to kind of, you know, a guy who's – used to catching so many touchdowns, put his ego to the side. He, I don't even know if he had one catch that game. He might have had one target. Um, and he was blocking for most of that game, and he did a really good job. So I'm not uh, being negative or pessimistic because we lost, and this isn't like 20, hindsight is 2020, but I didn't quite come around on all the hype on Chase Young this season. Like, yes, as a Washington fan, I was like rah-rah beating my chest, like retweeting everything PFF came out with that said he was awesome, but – Game to game, he and this is something he did at Ohio State too. Remember the last three games of his Ohio State season, the Big Ten Championship, the game before that, and of course the semifinal versus Clemson, he had zero sacks. Yep. Um, and he has a tendency to kind of only have a couple moves, and when they don't work, it's hard for him to just use his athleticism, especially in the NFL now where everyone's a elite athlete. And that's the worry for me in terms of like how generational he's going to be. He's only a rookie. He had a Great year, all things considered, put a lot of big plays on tape, but he's not like an Aaron Donald who every single play is a threat to sack the quarterback, right? He might get two sacks and he might be invisible the other plays. And I think that's the bit of a worry, but he's still so young. I mean, he's still so good. I think I told you this last week. I said our defense was slightly overrated and the teams had to often not pass a ton on us in the second half. They could take their foot off the gas a little bit, but it's anyway, uh, I mean, look. The other we didn't thing deserve it. Yeah, the other thing with Chase Young is he's he's a by all accounts great uh, leader, person, great yeah. kind of person, willing to be coached. So I think you have faith in a guy like that only getting better. Um, I will say Washington is a lot like Tampa, their defense, in the sense that it's heavily reliant on pressure, and the moment you don't get that pressure, the secondary gets exposed big time. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that people don't talk about enough, like because line does really well. The secondary looks good. The whole defense looks like it's balling. Yeah. Um, Tampa had the same issue against Washington. They got some pressure on uh, Heineke, but they couldn't close, right? They couldn't. He was pretty elusive in the pocket. He'd get away. He'd make plays. And that's, you know, transitioning to this next week, that's the biggest worry against the Saints. Right. If you don't get that pressure with the front four, you can blitz too, but Breeze is very good at kind of sensing that blitz. He can get the ball out quickly. You need to get early push from that front four if you want to beat the Saints. Yeah, and The Bucs haven't been able to do that lately, and the secondary is getting shredded because of it. And so, you know, I, this, I, I'm glad we beat the, the football team because I don't know if we're going to win this week. And so I'm glad we at least got one playoff win in. Well, we definitely did deserve to advance. I think if you look at it, it's the eight best teams onwards. There's a lot of fun matchups. Um you know, capped off. I think the last game on Sunday is is the Brady uh, Bucks uh, Breeze Saints matchup. What other game are you looking forward to the most? Because I think there's a bunch of fun storylines in all four games. Like I think they're all have the potential to be really good. I think no brainers. Bills Ravens. Um, yeah, 
Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, both those teams are exciting, fun to watch. And, you know, as as good as the Bills have been, the Ravens are on fire. The defense has been playing lights out, and a lot of people think they can win that game outright. So that one, I also do think Rams, uh, Packers, not a lot of people are talking about that game. It's the early Saturday game. But that defense has been so good that even with Goff, even with Wolford, if they can keep it low scoring, they're going to yeah. have a shot. Um, if I, Jalen Ramsey can take out Devontae. Devontae Adams, right? So, like, I, everyone's penciling in the Packers, and I think they should win, but it's a game which a couple fluky things happen, and we've seen Aaron Rodgers kind of crumble. Not crumble, but, you know, he's sometimes lost these big games, right? He's yeah. done it a lot. So, um I think their defense is so insanely good, not just across the board, but the top end talent is unlike any team in the league. When you talk about Donald and Ramsey, who are both probably the best players at their positions. Yeah. But I cannot pick Jared Goff on the road in Lambeau Field versus Aaron Rodgers. I just can't come around on that. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't either. But, But, um, you know, he beat Russell Wilson in. Uh, Seattle. Now, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks aren't the Packers, but I don't know. That's a tough one for me to get around. I think the Browns, by the way, my Browns are going to give the Chiefs a better How game. Are they your Browns? When did they become your Browns? Uh, one, I had Nick Chubb in fantasy. Two, before the season, we did a quick NBA, uh, NFL thing. Remember I told you the Browns were sleepers. And then they got oh, their God. ass kicked by Ravens week one, and you were clowning me. So then they became my team. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll see. That game will be interesting. Um, I think if I the know. Browns can run the ball, then they can keep it keep Mahomes off the field. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah, I mean that that's going to be the key to success, obviously. But uh, I I just don't know how they can beat Mahomes, man. I I think the Bills he won't are lose. Team. He won't lose. He won't lose. I mean, I know that, that, you know, they've been playing all these close games. They haven't been able to blow out teams like they have in the past. The offense is it, – it clicks, but it's a lot more inconsistent than it's been in the past. It's yeah. a lot more boomer bust. Um, but I don't know, man. After after I saw last year the playoffs where they went down 24-0, they went down, what, 10-0 against the Titans, 17-0 something? 30-10 yeah. Yeah, like- against the Niners. Like, every game they came back, like, I don't care if the – the Browns run the ball, go up. Like they're waiting to just pop off at any second. Um, it should be good though. It should be good. I'm glad we're gonna. I like the the order of the games too. I like Brady Breeze coming last. Um, yeah, that like gives a, that gives Aaron Rodgers a 36 hour head start on film. <laughs> exactly, and you're gonna send one of these old guys off into the sun. Well, Brady's gonna play another season, but Breeze, this could be his last game. So they're saying it might be, yeah. Uh, and I think I think he's going to win. I think the Saints are going to win, but it's hard to beat the team three times in a season. And the Bucks are playing really well right now. So it is, and I'm just banking on the um, the Saints kind of buying too much into their own hype, and then no one believes in us potential. You know, mm-hmm. Simmons uh, call out there from the Bucks because they have all of it, right? Everyone's yep. talking about how they got thrashed. So yep. Brady's taking that personally. You know it. All right, that's a wrap for us today. Uh, hope you all enjoy watching NFL this weekend. Hope you enjoy watching all the NBA that's not being postponed or canceled. And as soon as the Nets uh, get their full complement, I think we definitely have to reflect on what that looks like. But I can't wait. 
Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>